0: You know, if you look at the resources that are available, like things online, like The Bump or books, if you look at these resources, there isn't a lot of real estate dedicated to what happens if I have a perineal laceration or what is a perineal laceration and what happens to my pelvic floor after, after pregnancy and delivery. And so most of what I do is just talk, talk about what the patient's symptoms are, talk about expectations, talk about what normal healing is.
1: Perineal tears, or perineal lacerations, are a very common complication that can happen during childbirth. Somewhere between 60-70% to of people who give birth experience some degree of tearing in the skin or muscles between the vagina and anus. Despite their frequency, they're not a commonly discussed topic. Our guest today hopes to change that. Dr. John Pennycuff, a female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgeon in the UW Department of OBGYN, joined the Women's HealthCast to talk more about perineal tears, how often they happen, how they're treated, and what he wishes more people understood about them. From the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology, I'm Jackie Askins, and this is the Women's Health Cast. I am so excited to welcome Dr. John Pennycuff back to the Women's Health Cast. This is your third episode with us. Um, thank you so much for joining me today to talk a little bit about perineal injuries and some of the clinical options you have for helping people who experience these. Thanks for being here.
0: Well, Jackie, thank you so much for having me. Um, this is certainly a, a passion of mine that, um, you know, we're. We're taking care of the, the patients who have these perineal lacerations. And I wanted to talk um, more to both patients and the community in general kind of about what these things are and and kind of how we treat them and what does it mean. And, and I think we just need more resources available.
1: I totally agree. Um, I think as a good place to start, so we've said, you know, perineal lacerations, perineal injuries. Um. What part of the body are we talking about? Can you walk me through kind of the anatomy that's involved in these injuries? Um, kind of what's going on?
0: Sure. Um, so the perineum is the area between the the vaginal opening, what we call the introitus, and the anus. And it's actually an area that is involved with a lot of uh, pelvic organ support. There's a lot of musculature there, a lot of nerves. Um, some important structures are the is the sphincter complex, which is um, responsible for maintaining um, continence of stool. And so injuries can have a real impact on a, a woman's quality of life, on a person's quality of life.
1: Absolutely. Um, what kinds of injuries are we talking about? What is a perineal tear or a perineal injury? And why do they commonly happen?
0: So um, perineal lacerations are actually quite common at the time of uh, delivery, particularly in the firstborn. Um, about 60 to 70% of women will have some type of perineal laceration. Um, in general, we grade perineal lacerations, or we classify them on first, second, third, and fourth. A first-degree perineal laceration means just the vaginal skin or the vaginal epithelium is torn during delivery, um, and sometimes um, the obstetrician will put a you know a few stitches in to to repair it. Sometimes the stitches aren't necessary. Um, a second-degree perineal laceration is the vaginal uh, epithelium or vaginal skin and the supporting structure, the supporting muscular structure underneath the vagina. When we start talking about higher order perineal lacerations, like third and fourth degrees, we're talking about injury to the sphincter complex uh, in the case of third degree. So a third degree means that the, the, some portion of the sphincter, the, the anal sphincter, is, is torn. And a fourth degree means that the tear extends from the vaginal epithelium or vaginal skin all the way into the rectum. So I mentioned that 60 to 70% of women, particularly those giving birth for the first time, will have a perineal lacer- laceration that tends to be first and second degrees. About 2 to 4% of women will have a higher order perineal laceration, like a third and fourth degree. And sometimes we call that these uh, higher order perineal lacerations, obstetric anal sphincter injuries.
1: So you just described the, the sort of range of severity in um, perineal lacerations or injuries what kind of treatment happens? Like what happens after um, someone has a a perineal laceration? What's sort of the spectrum of available treatments?
0: Absolutely. So um, in terms of treatment options, so it's it's not uncommon, these, these perineal lacerations are very common. And so at the time of delivery, the obstetrician or the nurse midwife will often repair uh, the perineal laceration. Most often it's repaired at the time of delivery. Um, and sometimes if it's a small tear, it's a few stitches, Um, but sometimes if the tear is, you know, more extensive or involves those, uh, critical structures like the anal sphincter complex, it'll be a more extensive repair and the obstetrician may repair it at the, at that time, or they may call in someone like me, who's a pelvic reconstructive surgeon to help them repair it. And the point is that these things are, um, repaired at the time of delivery in general, um, the problem is that up to 20 to 25 percent of the time, these types of, uh, of repairs can break down, meaning that the sutures don't hold or they can become infected. Um, and that requires um, sort of a higher level of care from from people who are, you know, specialized in in, in um, sort of pelvic care or um Treatment, and that can be your obstetrician, that can be someone like me, the the pelvic reconstructive uh, surgeon.
1: You talked about you know, treatment often happens immediately, but I guess, do people experience more longer-term symptoms or um, issues after having an injury like this? Is it something that we've fixed it, it's fine, this won't affect your life anymore? Or are there some longer term impacts from having a tear like this?
0: Absolutely. So in terms of sort of lasting impact uh, from perineal lacerations, if someone has a first or second degree perineal laceration, they're very unlikely to have lasting impact. Um, from that right it's repaired they heal they do well now the problem is the third and fourth degrees those more extensive perineal lacerations those are associated with some pelvic floor disorders like fecal incontinence or the ability to maintain stool they can also be associated with pain and like i said like i mentioned before they can um they can have breakdown wound breakdown or infection and that needs to be treated Um, And so that's one of the reasons why it's really important that we um, are really vigilant about taking care of patients who have had a third or fourth degree perineal laceration.
1: Absolutely. So I know you recently launched a a clinic at UW Health where we kind of work um, in our department specifically to help folks with these kinds of issues and injuries. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about at what point patients come to see you and some of the services that you offer, some of the ways that you can help people?
0: Absolutely. Um, So the perineal laceration clinic uh, was started about a year ago. Um, I came to to UW about two years ago. And and I think a lot of people don't know, but Meritor Hospital, which is uh, the partner with UW, um, is the busiest baby hospital in the state. And so we didn't have a, a sort of dedicated clinic uh, to take care of patients who have sustained kind of a complex or high-order perineal laceration. It doesn't mean we weren't taking care of these patients. It just means that we didn't have a sort of centralized place for them to come. Um, and so we were able to start a really nice partnership between um, our OB colleagues in, um, in the Division of Academic Specialists of Obstetricians and Gynecologists along uh, with pelvic surgery, uh, and our physical therapists. And so generally what happens is if a patient um, has a vaginal delivery or a delivery in general that's complicated by some sort of um, complex perineal laceration or a high-order perineal laceration, these patients uh, will get referred to clinic to to generally to to see me. Um, And what's nice is that I'm able to partner with the obstetrician. So I can sort of see these patients within one to two weeks of their delivery, make sure that their uh, repair is intact, um, that it's healing well, there's no signs of infection or a breaking down. And then we talk about what does it mean? So you had this perineal laceration. Most of the time patients heal, they do well. But sometimes they may experience some pelvic floor symptoms like leakage of urine when they don't wish to, or leakage of stool when they don't wish to, or pain, or delayed healing. And we... Kind of, again, we partner with the obstetricians to manage these pelvic floor um, disorders. we get the patients in to physical therapy to work on early pelvic uh, floor re-education, strengthening or relaxation depending on the patient's needs and um, and then we do a check-in you know three to, to six months later just to check in make sure that everything's healing well um, that the patient doesn't have any symptoms, and you know just to make sure that they're being taken care of. And some patients need more visits because they d- did have an infection or they did have a breakdown and we're watching the healing. And so we really tailor and individualize a, a patient's care based on what the patient needs.
1: What motivated you to create this clinic and offer these services to and centralize these services for patients in our area? Why did you want to start this?
0: Well, I see a lot of patients in clinic who are coming to me in their 60s, their 50s, their 60s, their 70s, and they're, and they're coming to me for, for various pelvic floor disorders, urinary incontinence or fecal incontinence or pelvic organ prolapse. And the narrative I often hear is, well, this all started after my delivery and it sort of got worse. And I, I was told, like, I didn't know how to talk about it. I was embarrassed. I sort of felt that this just, is what it meant to to have babies. This is just like what happens to women. Um, And I really wanna change the narrative about that. Um, You know, I think with the advent of social media, TikTok, Instagram, people are getting a lot more savvy. They're getting a lot more information all the time. And I really wanna be part of that, hey, You had a delivery. These are the things that can happen. This is how your pelvic floor changes after delivery, and here's what we can do about it to help improve your quality of life so that patients aren't waiting until they're 40, 50, 60 to see me that we're intervening sooner. Uh, The good news is most patients do fine. They heal well. They recover. They don't have long-term complications because of these perineal lacerations. But for those that do, I think we're really providing excellent care and we're, we're helping make sure that their quality of life is just improved. So they can focus on the things that are more important, like their new family.
1: You talked through a, a sort of a graded spectrum of severity of injury. I'm kind of wondering if there's a similar uh, spectrum of treatment from like a low to high intervention scale um, and then how how people can walk through what intervention is the best one for them, how they can decide... What kind of treatment will work best for their life and for their lifestyle?
0: So a lot of the things that I provide in terms of treatment options, a lot of it's counseling and just helping patients know what to expect. Um, You know, if you look at the resources that are available, like things online, like The Bump or books, like I think maybe the most common or famous one is what to expect when you're expecting. If you look at these resources, there isn't a lot of real estate dedicated to What happens if I have a perineal laceration or what is a perineal laceration and what happens to my pelvic floor after after pregnancy and delivery? And so most of what I do is just talk. Talk about what the patient's symptoms are. Talk about expectations. Talk about what normal healing is. Um, I think the first thing I do is reassure patients that most of the time, people do well, they heal. But that recovery may be a little longer than that sort of six weeks we tell you know most vaginal deliveries they'll, they'll be recovered by. Like it, it might take a little longer, it might take three months or four months and, and everyone's a little different. We talk about expectations, about what happens if you have urinary incontinence or what happens if you have fecal incontinence. Um, and then we talk about, hey, you have this, you have this perineal laceration that was maybe a little bit more extensive maybe you're going to have a little bit more pain. So we have to have a different pain management plan. And we talk about like doing things like certainly the medications, but also bowel regimen to make sure that patients don't get constipated, which is common uh, during and after pregnancy. Um, We talk about things that patients can do just to feel better, like cold compresses or hot compresses, sits bath, which is just sitting in warm water three times a day to just sort of help relax the... um, you know, the, the, the perineum. And then we talk about the benefit of physical therapy and um, getting patients back to strengthening their pelvic floor. And I think then, you know, if patients are having complications like scarring or painful intercourse or the, the repair isn't healing well, then we talk, you know, what, what kind of surgeries might help them or what kind of procedures might help them to feel better.
1: I know that you're a, a strong proponent of vaginal estrogen. And um, I'm wondering if there's anything about specifically the postpartum period that could complicate or make recovery from these kinds of injuries a little more challenging, and if there's anything to be done about that. I'm basically teeing up a conversation about vaginal estrogen, which I know you admire.
0: Absolutely. So breastfeeding um, actually puts patients into sort of a low estrogen state. It's... and that's just by the nature of the, the hormones that are um, part of breastfeeding, breast, uh, breast milk production and, and breast milk letdown, um, the estrogen just becomes lower. And so patients, um, even those who haven't had a perineal laceration, may notice they have vaginal dryness, vaginal irritation. They may find that when they resume intercourse after um, delivering that it can be painful. Um, And so I help, um, you know, patients talk about that um, so that, you know, we can give a little vaginal estrogen supplementation to help reduce some of those symptoms, but also make sure that the tissue uh, quality is improved. So, you know, wound healing is better or the repair healing is better. And so I do recommend vaginal estrogen to a lot of patients. Um, and, you know, I think it, it does help improve their quality of life in the, in the postpartum period.
1: Do you know if there's any information about vaginal estrogen and breastfeeding? Does it affect um, the ability to breastfeed or anything? Like if that's a very common concern that any sort of post-birth interventions might affect someone's ability to breastfeed if they're interested.
0: I would say that that is the number one question I get when you're talking about giving a medication to someone who's breastfeeding. And, you know, the truth is vaginal estrogen is not going to raise your like, mom's blood level of estrogen higher than sort of a postmenopausal woman or someone who's gone through menopause. It, does, it just doesn't absorb the same way that sort of oral estrogen or like the patch estrogen does. And so it's gonna stay in the, the local tissue and it shouldn't affect breast, breast milk production or, or you know the ability to, to breastfeed. And I, I don't have concerns that it's gonna get into the baby, things of that nature. So really, I think it's a, it's a very safe, very low risk um, option for patients. But again, it's having a conversation. If a patient says, absolutely not, I wish to avoid any kind of medicine while I'm breastfeeding, then we have a conversation about that and, and what are some other options she might have.
1: I'm sure this is a pretty common question that you get. Um, if someone has a perineal injury in one birth, has some degree of like tearing or laceration, does that, does that change their likelihood or increase their likelihood of having a tear in a future birth?
0: I think a question I often get, um, from patients is what's the likelihood that this will happen again and how should I deliver in the future? Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to remember that the mode of delivery, whether someone, you know, wants a a C-section or a vaginal delivery, it's a really hot topic. Um, but that decision is really between the patient and the OB, Um, And that that decision is made oftentimes on labor and delivery based on what's going on with mom and what's going on with baby and what's safest for mom and what's safest for the baby. So it's easy for me to sort of talk in my office about, okay, well, this is what you could do. And this is, um, you know, this is what the data shows. And, And I'll kind of discuss that in a little bit. But it's really important that patients take away that that decision is really made kind of at the time like on labor and delivery or based on maternal or obstetric indications to keep mom and baby safe. So if someone had a perineal laceration in their first pregnancy and in their first delivery, about maybe 5 to 8% chance that it'll occur again in their next pregnancy. So overall, pretty low. Um, you know, I think it's really important that we talk about vaginal delivery um, compared to C-section, because vaginal delivery is much safer. Um, you know, when we think about complications overall from vaginal delivery, it's about 4% compared to 11% with C-section. And there isn't, you know, there are some real real true complications with, with cesarean delivery. While it's generally safe, um, there can be some real complications. And so I think it's important to, to have that sort of balanced discussion Um And again, this is, you know, the OBs do this every day. They're very good at it. Um, What, you know, we have some guiding principles. We need more literature, we need more studies on this, but we do have some guiding principles um, that uh, are recommendations made from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And they basically say that if you had a perineal laceration and you have symptoms like fecal incontinence, for for example, uh, after the repair, or you had some sort of wound complication, like breakdown or infection, um, and that required a second surgery. Or if you sustained a psychological trauma as a result of the perineal laceration, that those would be reasons for elective cesarean in the second pregnancy. Again, these are just guiding principles, and it's all about having that conversation. So these are some of the things that I I will talk to patients about, but I really emphasize that that decision on how to deliver in the next pregnancy is really made with the obstetrician and the patient based on what's safest for mom and what's safest for baby.
1: Do you ever talk with folks about prevention? I can imagine this is a question that comes up like, is there anything I could have done to prevent this from happening? Or is there anything I can do in the future to reduce my likelihood of experiencing a tear? And I'm, I'm wondering how you advise people when this question comes up.
0: Absolutely. Um, so there have been tons of studies on looking at like massaging the perineum during pregnancy and trainers, like devices that are inserted into the vagina to help stretch the perineum um, in anticipation of delivery. Uh, And the truth of the matter is we don't have a ton of evidence to suggest that they're helpful. Um, You know, we do, at the time of delivering, um, some warm compresses to the perineum, some warm washcloths have been shown to help reduce the risk of um, perineal lacerations. Um, But other than that, we just don't have a ton of things that we, we can do to help prevent them. So it's kind of, since we can't really... The only way we can sort of really prevent them is by doing C-sections, which isn't has a whole, is whole set of risks. So since we can't really prevent them per se, we're just, we try to reduce them as much as we can. And we make sure that we just take really good care of patients who have sustained a high order perineal laceration.
1: So you mentioned your perineal clinic at UW Health, and I'm just wondering if you can tell me a little bit more about who can take advantage of those services? Who can kind of access this um, clinic and some of the resources that you have there?
0: You know, I think a lot of people think that the perineal laceration clinic is just for military patients, but that's absolutely not true. Um, the um, The truth of the matter is that I really believe in the Wisconsin idea that the things we're doing at UW should benefit. The community at large, the state at large, and the nation at large. And so, you know, I, it, we are a resource for providers um, outside of the UW system throughout the state and in the region if they have a patient who had a complicated vaginal delivery and is, is suffering from, you know, a, some of these pelvic floor disorders or, or a perineal laceration. And so I welcome referrals. Um, we're really continuing to grow our partnership with. Um, the OBs in the community um, as well as the nurse practitioners in in our clinic and the PTs so that we have a really robust clinic so we can take care of these patients.
1: In general, what is the one thing you wish more people knew or understood about perineal lacerations and what comes next after someone experiences it?
0: I wish... I wish there were more resources available to patients, right? Like I wish that there was a little bit more real estate in sort of the things that patients are reading, the things that patients are sort of talking about in preparation for their um, delivery. We're starting to talk a little bit more about the quote unquote fourth trimester. So what happens to mom and baby after that, after delivery? Like we're talking a lot more about postpartum depression, we're talking, and and I, I would like the conversation to be a little bit more about what happens to the pelvic floor after delivery, and I think it's starting. But I you know I, I wish we just had a little bit more um, real estate in, in these resources de- devoted to it. Um, the American Urogynecologic Society has recently um, put out a publication that is available for purchase for for anyone really, patients and providers about postpartum changes to the pelvic floor. Um, I think we could probably put that uh, like a link to it at the end of the podcast. Um, is that something we could do? Absolutely cool. Um, so they put out this publication and it just gives patients a lot more resources um, to to just information on on what what to expect. Um, it's pretty you know it's 20 bucks it's a it's a pretty easy read and I think it just helps guide patients' expectations. Um, I think the narrative is often, oh, you're going to be back to yourself at six weeks. And patients that had a complex or or high-order perineal laceration might need a little bit more time. It might take them four months to sort of get back to feeling better or it might take them, you know, nine months before they're ready to have intercourse. And I think it's just saying like every patient's gonna be a little bit different and you may not fit that six week mold, and that's okay.
1: Perfect. Dr. Pennycuff, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about this under discussed but extremely crucial topic. Thanks for being here.
0: Absolutely, it's my pleasure. Thank you.
1: All of the resources Dr. Pennycuff mentioned, information about perineal tears from the American Urogynecologic Society, and a book about pelvic floor health, are linked in our episode description. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the UW Department of OBGYN. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. You can find the Women's Health cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find the Department of OBGYN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the handle at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us on your podcast app and let us know what health issues you'd like to learn about at the link in our episode description. Thanks for listening.